Blessed are those who do his commandments. Does that sound like the Islamic faith? We're going to take a look at that here on Law and Gospel on this May 2nd in the year of our Lord 2016. It's a Monday, and I, Tom Baker, is your only host on today. I should say, I am your only host. And on Mondays, we kind of take a look at the readings for the following Sunday, which is going to be the seventh Sunday of Easter. And tomorrow, we're going to take a look at the hymn assigned for that Sunday, which has a very strange title. Christ is the Lord's Redeemer. The, the, the Lord needs a Redeemer? Well, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Right now, our readings, because we are still in the season of Easter, are from Acts 1, Revelation 22, and John 17. What I just read, blessed are, th- are those who do his commandments, because then they will be saved, that isn't from the Muslim faith, or I should say, Muslim religion. That is from the Bible. Revelation 22, verse 14. In fact, verse 12 really seems to undercut Christian teaching. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his... Now, we would think the word faith would come up, but it's not. It's according to his work. And then right after that, verse uh, 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Normally, Alpha and Omega refers to God the Father, but here in this verse, it's obviously referring to God the Son, Jesus Christ. It shows his proper divinity. And then verse 14 Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Who is not permitted into the city? That's verse 15. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Uh, Yesterday and the worship service... We began with a confession of sin. I, a poor, miserable sinner, deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Well, then, aren't you and I, as sinners, aren't we in the category of dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie? We we just confess that, that our sins are so great, we deserve temporal punishment and also eternal punishment, then how are we ever going to enter through the gates into the city? Verse 12, I want to read again. I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Does that not teach us that we are saved by what we do? Now, I found it interesting that when I take a look at this particular verse in other translations, here's what the ESV says. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by their gates. 
Well, that doesn't sound like blessed are those who do his commandments. Is the Greek so close to wash their robes that we're not sure just what is the English translation? No. The, the Greek is really quite different. Then how do you have in one verse saying those who do his commandments and another verse those who wash their robes? You see, the Bible was not copied by machines. No, they didn't have copy machines in those days. Paul would write a letter, say, to the Romans, and then copyists would copy that letter and send it around the world. And what we have found out is when copyists do things, wow, are there a lot of changes. Now try that. Have a, a group of children, say, in your Sunday school have them write out two or three sentences. And guess what? You will find changes because they didn't hear you right or they forgot how to spell it properly or all kinds of reasons. That's why there are thousands of manuscripts in regard to the Bible. Now, I believe that it doesn't really matter what changes you find in the other manuscripts. There are no serious changes in theology. I mean, it doesn't say in one manuscript, Jesus is God, and in another manuscript it says, Jesus is not God. No, there aren't those kinds of contradictions. In fact, there are books written why you have these changes. Uh, Perhaps somebody is copying verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments, And they know Christianity really well, that you don't get to heaven by your works. So, no, what what, what John really meant to say, they say, are those who wash their robes. Remember, in Revelation, the robes of the saints are washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's why they're going to heaven. And so he just changes that. Uh, There may be other reasons why you have these changes. In fact, one of my favorite books is a book where scholars try and tell you which is the better reading. But as I said, none of the readings really change anything because how much difference is there between blessed are those who keep and do his commandments in contrast to blessed are those who wash their robes? Well, guess what? It appears that in either verse, you are the one who should be getting the credit, either for doing the commandments or washing your robes. But you see, that also goes against basic Christian faith, namely that God is the one who should get all the credit for your salvation. You don't participate in your salvation in the sense of getting you saved. You don't cooperate. You contribute nothing. You're saved by grace, which means you don't deserve to be saved. Whereas if you're the one doing the commandments or washing the robes, it appears that you are the one who should get credit for your salvation. How do we resolve? And almost every week, somewhere in the text, it appears that there is something that contradicts the Scripture. Uh, Last uh, Sunday, 
at Trinity Orchard Farm, uh, we read the scripture where it says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Well, is that true? And we went ahead and explained, yes, it is true, but with the understanding of scripture, interpret scripture. Here we have another. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Or blessed are those who wash their robes. Let's take the wash their robes. How does that happen? It's called baptism. In baptism, you receive the robe of righteousness. You receive the forgiveness of sins, which means you are no longer held accountable for your sins. Jesus paid the price. And a person may willingly go to baptism. But it doesn't mean that the act of baptism is something they do. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, when the people realize they've killed the Messiah, they ask Peter, what shall we do? And he doesn't tell them something they're supposed to do or that they're able to do. He tells them instead something that can be done to them. He says, be baptized. That's a passive, which means that's not something that you actively do and you get credit for. It's something that God does and gives you salvation. It's a passive. So how do we understand this other one? Blessed are those who do his commandments. Well, Scripture interprets Scripture. And the best passage I would go to is Matthew chapter 25, where you have the sheep and the goats. Do you notice how the sheep are commended? Because of the good works they do. Visit people in prison, etc. Well, is that how you get saved? No. Because there are a lot of unbelievers who visit people in prison. And they're not saved then why does Jesus even mention it? From the context, it's very clear that what God is looking for is not the outward act, but the inward motivation. And the sheep are motivated to do all of those good works out of love for Jesus, where unbelievers who don't know Jesus obviously cannot have that motivation. And it's very important to understand that when God on Judgment Day may look to your works. That is not because they become the cause of your salvation. They're instead the evidence that you indeed truly are a Christian. It's kind of like at the reading of a will, they may ask you, what is your name? What is your address? What is your social security number? And once they find that, they say, well, here, according to this will, you have $50,000. Wow, that'd be nice. But do you get the $50,000 because of your name, your address, and your social security number? No. Those are not the cause of your receiving an inheritance. Instead, for the lawyer, they are the evidence that you are who you are 
really are. And the will is very clear that that's the person who should receive this inheritance. Similarly, on Judgment Day, it's not your works that save you. But if God sees within you what we call works of the Holy Spirit, and that's different than good works, good works are simply any work that an unbeliever can do outwardly. I mean, he keeps the speed limit, he pays his taxes, etc., etc. But all of those are done out of self-interest. Because there's only two motivations in the world that God recognizes, and the one is self-interest, and the other is Christ-interest. Now, when you have a good work that's done out of Christ-interest, you don't have to think, well... I'm going to do this because I love Jesus. No, it's just kind of spontaneous. You don't even recognize the Christ in you in doing that good work. And and that's why the sheep are surprised. When do we do all these things? So that's going to be a a great surprise in, in heaven. All the good works that God considers you have done as fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the reason you don't realize them is they're kind of spontaneous when you become a Christian and Christ is in you and you're moved by the Holy Spirit. Christians have all kinds of works and thoughts that never even cross the mind of an unbeliever because it's not the deed outwardly that counts. It's the heart inwardly that God is looking for. And you see, God can read your heart. By the way, that's something you can't even do. What I mean by that is there's many a time you'll do a good work and you're not really sure what your motivation is, if you think about it. I mean, many a time what we do is often to manipulate. Uh, Yesterday in the Bible study, we talked about the scientifically proven way of how to apologize. And I'll tell you, if you use it, you will become friends with the person. Because you're willing to pay for any repairs in order to set straight what you have done. You, t- you say to the person, you regret what you have done. You repent of what you've done. And after you do all that, you ask for forgiveness. Well, the example I gave, you're driving down your driveway and you're not looking and you run over your neighbor's mailbox. Now, maybe he put it too close to the driveway. And so you could say, well, if you hadn't put it so close to the driveway, I wouldn't run over it. But the point I made is he's not going to be happy with you because he's got a broken mailbox. But if you go to him and you say, "Uh, I really regret what I did, if you really take full responsibility, if you explain that you were changing your radio station and it was your fault, and if you then say, look, I don't want you to do anything. I'm bringing in a worker. We're going to buy a new pole and a new mailbox like the one you had. And then you ask for forgiveness. You'll probably get it because you have achieved everything. The, the problem I pointed out is that's almost the opposite of what the Bible says as to how to ask forgiveness from God. Can you imagine you say to the Lord, well... The reason I did this, and you try to explain to the Lord why you did something wrong. And that explanation, I guarantee you, 
will always end up blaming the Lord for letting those circumstances occur in your life. That, that's not very good. <laughs> and then you say to the Lord, I'll repair what I did. Well, what? Well, once you sin, there's no repair you can make to it in the sense of making up for it. You can't do a good work to make up for a sin because God always expects good works. And you can't do more than good works, so it's really impossible to make up to God. And then after you tell God, I'm responsible, I'll make it up to you, I'll repair it, I repent, will you forgive me? You notice what the forgiveness is based on. It's based on you're saying that you regret. You're saying that it's my responsibility. You're saying that I will repair it. You're saying this is a good excuse why I did it, which ends up blaming God. See, Christianity is the very opposite. The reason you get forgiveness is not because you promise to repair the item or make up for it or take full resources. You get the forgiveness because Jesus' death on the cross. That forgiveness comes to you before you repent. What? I, I thought only people who repent get forgiveness. What? <laughs> no. What does Jesus say from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he's talking to the people who are crucifying him, mocking him. Why does God do that? Because forgiveness is by grace. You don't deserve it. If you say to God, God, if you let me have this job, I'll come to church every week. And I'll tell you, if I were God, then I would make sure you don't get the job. <laughs> you, you can't barter with God. Who do you think you are? In fact, that's why every sin is always an act of idolatry. Because you take it upon yourself to become good. So it really doesn't matter which reading is correct. Because although it sounds like you're the one who washes the robes and you're the one who does the commandments... We need to look more closely that the washing of the robes is actually something done to you. It's called baptism. And when God says he gives everyone according to his work, what he's referring to is, are you doing fruit of the Holy Spirit? And fruit of the Holy Spirit is not the cause of your salvation, but it's the evidence that you are already saved because only Christians can do fruit of the Holy Spirit. Nobody else can, because the main ingredient of that fruit is not the deed done, but the motivation behind the deed out of love for Jesus Christ. So when we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, we, we can't find really a passage that indicates that our works are going to become the cause of our salvation. They cannot. Because then we would be teaching that we're saved by our works. And it's really interesting how different religions use works. You listen to a Joel Osteen, and boy, if you have enough faith then you're going to be able to do anything. And if you pray for something and it doesn't happen, that's because you don't have enough faith. 
or there'll be clergy, like, for example, at the Muslim Center, who would say things like, you know, if you use your free will to do good works, then God will really love you. He'll take care of you. And if you don't do those good works, then he won't take care of you. What a God to have. How would you like to have a parent like that? If, if you really do good during the day and don't disobey your parents, then you're able to eat a meal, sleep in the bed that they provide, wear the clothes that they bought. But boy, if you sin, all those things are taken away from you. You know, I just read of something where in order to keep a misbehaving child in check, parents locked them in a room. That child would be taken away from those parents and given to people who are properly understanding how to raise a child. It is so easy to kind of fall into a legalism by, by telling people, giving them promises, that, boy, if you obey the commandments, then you'll be able to enter the gates of heaven. But that is a total misreading because there's no ability to obey the commandments. The, the reason, and we have to understand, when the Bible is written, you need to read it from God's point of view, not from your point of view. Because from your point of view, it sure doesn't sound like you're obeying the commandments. You instead fit into the category of a poor, miserable sinner deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. But from God's point of view... Because Jesus has paid for your sins, there is no sin of commission that can keep you out of heaven. And because he dresses you in his robe of righteousness, there is no sin of omission that keeps you from going to heaven. When God looks at a believer in Christ, he sees someone who is sinless and righteous. You see, everything is perception. But if you read the Bible from your perception, you will often not understand it, and you will often confuse the distinctions between law and gospel. But if you read the Bible from the perception of God, this is him writing these things. Does he really say, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life? Yes, because from God's point of view, you are doing his commandments. You don't see it, but God declares it. That, that's why Christianity, as I've been saying for the past month here on KFUO, is really talking about that distinction which we have and no other religion has. And that is, Jesus is our substitute. That is to say, God is your substitute in paying for your sins, in dressing you in the robe of his righteousness, so that when you read a text such as the 14th verse of Revelation 22, blessed are those who do his commandments, and you get worried, boy, I don't think I'm doing his commandments because I'm confessing them all the time. Stop being worried. Because from God's point of view, a believer 
does do his commandments. In fact, our act of repentance is one of the greatest fruit of the Holy Spirit we can do. As we understand repentance to mean, first of all, contrition and sorrow over our sin, because every sin is spitting in the face of Jesus who hangs on the cross. That's how serious sin is. But we also know that the words he said from the cross, Father, forgive them, have come true. And they are indeed part of our life because Jesus, as he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He brings to you life that often you don't feel or recognize, but is still a gift of grace from the Alpha and the Omega, which is the first and last verses of the Greek alphabet. Like saying, I love you like A to Z, which means I'll do anything for you. And and that's what your God does. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel on this May the 2nd in the year of our Lord 2016. As, uh, as I indicated, uh, tomorrow, with the help of Mark Smith, we're going to be looking at a hymn that has a strange title. Christ is the Lord's Redeemer. Why does the Lord need a Redeemer? We'll answer that question tomorrow. I'm Tom Baker. Check me out at Law and Gospel at Law... I, I'm sorry, website lawandgospel101.com. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday at this time on Worldwide KFUO. For a contribution to the program, make your check payable to Law & Gospel and mail it to Pastor Tom Baker, Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. You can call toll-free at 1-877-267-1962 or email lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.